Oh, what's up, Vibe Ranters? We here. We got Ben Botherson. Today's the first day of the tropical Aquarius season, and I'm feeling free and funky fresh. <laughs> How about you, man? Oh, just fantastic. Actually, no, I'm not. <laughs> I feel like shit. <laughs> yeah, it oh, looks Jesus. like you got uh, you got beat on by your wife a little bit. Yeah, Christy, Christy, I got mouthy with Christy, and she fucking she punched me right. She punched me in the eye. Or wrong eye. Wrong eye. This is this eye. This is the really swolly one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey, what's up, Lucas? Yesterday. Hi. Lucas, yes, are we on air or? Yeah, we just went on, so you popped in like right in the perfect oh, moment. Really? Yeah, <laughs> I was just, I was just telling everybody why I'm so pretty right now. Holy, yeah, tell us the story, even, Ben. Yesterday I couldn't even see, so I got you know I've been using DMSO and uh, we mixed it in the comfort cream and we're trying it out. So I've had DMSO on me. And I didn't stop and think about it. And I went out and uh, it's been nice the last like four or five days. So I went out and cleared a whole bunch of forest and uh, the DMSO. Well, I'm also allergic to poison oak and I get poison oak pretty bad. Well, then the DMSO on top of me, it just soaked right in and I'm just driving along. And all of a sudden it jumped from like, I usually it just starts out as an itch and then it spreads and turns into like a little redness and stuff. And all of a sudden yesterday I'm driving and I have that and I realize I got poison oak and all of a sudden while I'm driving, I get all of a sudden my eyes are just like, I can't see. And I'm starting to see stars and I look and my eyes are just fully swollen up and my whole face and my ears are all swollen. And I'm like, wow, my whole body itches. It's horrible. (laughs) Well, it looks like it uh, downsized a little bit pretty quickly. Yeah, I had to go do. I couldn't. I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't even fuck around. I ain't gonna lie. I went and got a bunch of Benadryl and scugged Benadryl. I need cheese. <laughs> gotta do what like, you gotta holy do. Cow. Yeah, yeah. Not even gonna lie. <laughs> How about um, you, Lucas? Uh, you got any swelling anywhere that's irritating? Uh, no, I don't think I do actually. No. Uh, me either, except from lifting weights. Ha. <laughs> <laughs> I got a like sore shoulder. That's about it. I've been working on that, but um I think there's too much hoeing in the garden. That's what's jiggers it up. Too much know. hoeing. Not hoeing around. Yeah. <laughs> or not around. enough hoeing. One or one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so lucas we haven't got to be on cameras together before this is cool i thought i was having been on and i was like why not bring these two dudes together that way i can sit back and just watch sparks fly you know and not have to do much work (laughs) right fair enough that's hilarious so introduce yourself to our people because a lot of uh, i think our people know benjamin but you know who are you uh, Take who it, am I? Um, yeah, well, I've got a YouTube um, channel called LC King, and basically, I just go through Rockfin. Applying he met bat- Rockfin. Yeah, he met Rockfin. But basically, what I do is I apply um, the galvanic battery or batteries to the world, and um, yeah, that's what the main part of my YouTube's about. 
and you know dive into a little bit of esoteric stuff as stuff as as well and um and lately i've been getting more into the zodiac um stars and all that sort of stuff so i try and uh, be fairly diversified in what i look at and research so that's a bit about me but i live in australia victoria um i've got a small um market garden that's so I do. I'm a farmer, and um, so yeah, it's a pretty quiet little town I live in. Man, living the dream. Other than maybe like cooties restrictions, but you're already in a good spot for it, having your own farm. So it's like, what can they do? And I, yeah, well, and basically, gonna, what? Yeah, go for it, Ben. I'm gonna, I'm gonna point out that this little dream life Lucas is talking about is in Victoria, Australia. If you're willing to go out and make your own reality, you can make it even in places like that. He's in the go. worst place in the world right now. Hmm. Maybe not the well, worst I'm place in the world, world, but pretty rough, I bet. <laughs> for, for, I'm for away from the, the cities. Like better than being inside a volcano. Right, right. Speaking of which, there's been a bunch of eruptions since I think uh, it was Uranus stationing direct. I'm pretty sure I'm getting that right. Does that ring a bell to anybody? I've been looking at, and so is our our friend Gabriel, uh, Slick Dissident. We've been really looking at the role of Hephaestus in the mythology as a really a uh, demiurge <laughs> type archetype. Now, he's the blas- blacksmith. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Vulcan and related, in the Roman. Yeah, Vulcan and related to Leo and all that sort of stuff around that uh, area. Yeah, bro. I don't know well, anything. We, I don't know about the current astrology. I've been way too busy, but I can tell you that uh, off the west coast here, there's been a ton of earthquakes. Uh, one that knocked down things in my house, even. Um, Whoa! And we're. Yeah, uh, it was a weird rolling, like it, it didn't, it wasn't just like a shake. It was like a weird rolling, like you could feel a roll, like a wave. Um, and there's been like in the last couple of weeks, there's just been a, a whole series of them off the, uh, off the coast outside of Humboldt here. You remember me talking to you about the, um, the earthquake in Melbourne? That was a little while ago now, but um, like we never get, earthquakes or anything like that so that was a little strange we just don't know what um yeah what that was all about yeah so you know what we do this thing on here where we have a telegram channel for vibrant and people do call-ins and leave us videos and all kinds of stuff there's some questions in there for you guys so i'm gonna set up my screen share which i should have already had set up but you know Oh, I think I have to save. You know what? Give me just a second because I got to save and download point, this video. At yeah, some ben. point, Lucas really needs to air out the things that he's been working on right now. Lucas has really been on fire with the oh. research that he's been working on. He's made some real strides in the last couple of weeks. And at some point, he uh, definitely should take some time to air that out. Yeah, man, I think that's a good idea because we're going to have Lucas on for his own full-blown Interverse episode where we spend the whole time just combing through stuff. And by then, I'll have caught up on as much of Lucas's work as I can. Uh, right now, I'm under the gun with a couple other projects. But I have been looking at the Telegram group he's got, and 
one thing we've discussed like briefly is challenging the idea of the procession of equinoxes. I really like that because who told us about that? Very untrustworthy people. So there, there's that. And, uh, you know, we could talk about all kinds of things. So I figure by the time we have our talk in February again, there'll probably be a whole nother episode's worth of new research and things to converse about. So I say let her rip, Lucas, and I'll get my, uh, I'll get the video and questions lined up from the calling group for whenever we have a moment later. Um, so procession is something that I've been grappling with for a long time. It's uh, it's one of those things where it's it's pretty untestable for the common man. And so that's like a red flag to me is straight away is like um, 72 years for one degree. I mean, that's a small amount. Um, and then it really came out of applying the battery to the world and going um, and thinking about the stars and basically this, um, you know, a, a dome that's basically made out of solid oxygen and those sort of concepts. And it was more to do with, okay, so um, what if there's no precession and the star and the, the position of the sun is um, dictates how we see the stars. So we're sort of flipping it on its head um, because, you know, I see the stars as being fixed and, you know, this dome, if fixed in the dome, and if they're fixed in the dome, then that dome to me isn't spinning. That, that sort of um, when you look at the uh, nature of, um, you know, this solid oxygen and those sort of things, what you see is that it needs to actually be stable for it to do its um, work in being a superconductor and those sort of ideas that go along with it. So what it was then, it was like, okay, so you've got um, the sidereal, which is where the sun is. Then you've got this older version, which is, you know, you've got the man, the bull, the lion, and and those sort of ideas, which is, um, you can see them in sort of stone, basically those those concepts, and then you've got the um, the tropical astrology. So these three sort of um, different approaches, and what I found was um, just by thinking about it, how a someone would go and um, view the stars and check where they are in the season. Um, that was the sort of the critical point is like, well, how would you actually go and check the stars to see where you are in the season and what's happening? And um, the the most interesting thing was when I, I put it into Stellarium and had a look and it was basically you would go out early in the morning and see which star sign was actually um, rising before the sun. And so that gives you an indication of where the sun is in its own sign basically and then you could go out in the evening and see which sign was following the sun and so you had these different ways of actually um you know seeing where the sun was and it was actually a triplicity in a sense and all these three um different modalities if you like the old world um zodiac the um newer zodiac which is or, or not newer but the um tropical and then you got the sidereal and they all function um one basically is you know um applicable to the morning where you would go and see the um the the um stars 
before the sun rose, one is applicable to where the sun actually is, and then one is applicable to um, the stars in the evening that follow the sun. So um, it sort of all fit together. Those three things fit together, and it sort of shows this that this idea of um, precession is, in my mind, it's it's it doesn't exist. Hopefully, I explained that all right. <laughs> Ben, what do you think? I think Lucas has been absolutely on fire. Um, the uh, system that he's looking at now it does it does is able to have a twelve divisor, but it actually operates off of an eight divider, which is uh, more classically uh, what your pagans and heathens and most of your older cultures would have operated off of was an eight. Uh, system and so it divides it into eight and then what it really kind of looks like is is they took the seasonal cross and added it into the uh into the uh constellations and it's not supposed to work that way and uh then also one of the other things that uh we're working out and talking about um is it really very much appears that that there's that there's two different cycles that are happening at the same exact time and one of them is a growth cycle and the other one is a recession cycle or a death cycle and apparently we only look at the one side for whatever reason um so it's it's very interesting uh and then some oh. of the different uh architectures that he's taken some of this and overlaying it on is just phenomenal. There's um, it's interesting, this twin idea um, sort of like you see it play out in movies, you know, it's the good guy and the bad guy and they're basically mirrors of each other. And they're sort of in a sense born at at different times of their cycle and one's power increases while the other's, decreases and usually what the hero goes through in the hero's journey sort of thing and you see it in a lot of movies is that the the hero almost dies he gets gets his ass handed to him basically in a in in the movies by the bad guy and then he's he's nearly um kaput and then he gets suddenly gets that hope back in him something spurs him on and then there's the sort of final fight that happens and and you see this play out constantly in in the movies, and it's it's sort of like uh, this. Uh, it, it's, I guess it's a twin sun idea, or it's a different um, way of looking at the zodiac, where you have, um, say, the the bad king would be born at the summer solstice and then roll roll down, and and his power grows as it gets into the winter, the the height of his power, whereas the the height of the good guy's power is basically at the summer solstice, you know what I mean? The, the midday. And, um, he's born at the, um, the winter solstice. Um, so there's a really fascinating stuff that they do with the movies and in regards to these archetypes and, and zodiacal type things. And it's, it's not just the movies, obviously, but, um, yeah, this interplay and it seems to be based over, not just one seasonal cycle, but uh, a few. And I haven't quite worked out like how many cycles they're actually working over and, and what that actually means. But um, yeah, there's, there's definitely a larger story that goes over 
um, a larger period of time that's happening. I don't know if you've noticed that. So there's a couple of things I want to address there. <clears throat> Excuse me. The eight instead of nine kind of makes sense why previous cultures would revere that number because you've got the analemma makes that pattern. And then in, I guess, gematria or just like sacred mathematics, non-secular, the nine is the serpent or what you slay because whenever you add nine to anything, it just returns to what it was. One plus nine is 10, which reduces back to one. And two plus nine, 11, one, one equals two. So same kind of thing happens with multiplication where it becomes a nine, whatever you multiply by nine. So it doesn't really add anything in terms of whenever it's crossed with other numbers mathematically. So it's kind of like a number of illusion and you can't use it to create a neat system of uh, division in a, in a quaternity. You could in a Trinity, you know, three, 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 but anyway, there's are some thoughts on nine. Also, I've been deep into well, relooking at the, uh, the work of Dylan Sicoccio, his spirit world series. And in the third book, a huge theme of the book July's end is that the angel of death and the angel of life are one and the same, which was claimed by the hermetic brotherhood that basically it's all, all the, the, um, archetypal stories, the planetary characters, even ancient Kings can, that, that are in this way made to reflect mythology, even though they may be claimed to have been historical are really the sun at different stations of the year throughout the Zodiac, it becomes the different characters. It becomes the mother, it becomes the lion, it becomes the virgin, et cetera, and goes through the whole cycle, becomes Aquarius or Janus. And at, like you were saying, in the winter half, after the, soul, the equinox that enters you into the covenant of uh, works, I think is what it was known as, the wintertime, that's the fall equinox, that, that's when the sun becomes like the arch villain or the angel of death or yes. Saturn or Kronos eats his children. And then, yep. yeah, this vernal equinox, you get the springtime superhero, you know, Christ, the lamb. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Well, that's, that's right. The, the same thing that you were saying with the, um, the nine, it acts like a, a zero in a sense. Um, so it's the, the central point. So you have eight spokes around a central point, which would be the, the ninth point. And it's the, the monad or the, the zero point. And it's the same with, um, the zodiac. You have 12 spokes around the central one, which is that, um, Polaris, um, and Mercury and all that singular figure has 12 different orientations, 12 different, um, you know, coats it puts on in a sense. So, no, yeah, that's that's exactly right. That's that mercurial figure that uh, that comes out of that. Well, that that was there, there was a whole lot put thrown out there. Um, well, the eight, like Lucas said, the eight as a heathen and as a in pagans and whatnot, the eight is is the nine though. Um, yeah, we don't use nine cause the eight is the nine. That's why like Slepnir has eight legs because if you're standing on Midgard, there's nine realms, but you only have eight paths, 
that you can take because you're obviously standing on one of those places. Let me so just there's only go in. It's like uh, the nine is eight around one. So it's the eight. Right. And then the center point, center spoke would be the ninth point. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Perfect. Um, so we don't even use nine because our eight is is that. And so like we have the and then even when you're looking at like the runes, the three ets, you would be the ninth thing in each of those because you're supposed to be going and experiencing each of those runes like Rachel and I are talking about right now, where it, you can break it down into a life order of things that you do and the life path that you're taking. Um, and so you're that ninth uh, thing. Um, and I, I like when you're looking at this, I don't think a lot. I think that the sun that that is just a Roman and Abrahamic thing where they're so big on the sun. As I've as I've been studying all the uh, really heavily looking at that aspect of it with a lot of these different cosmologies, almost none of the older cosmologies was the sun a key figure at all. And even in Greek, he wasn't a key figure. Apollo wasn't uh, a particular key figure in any of the stories. I mean, he's he's kind of just like a side piece in the stories. He rolls around on his chariot of fire, and that's about it. Um, the problem is the stories that we've been given versus what you can take out of looking at ancient artwork and sculptures. And then some of these characters with very specific symbolism become very quite obvious that they were important in different regions. But I think Mike, well, I'm working on the idea that, that it was all zodiacal and for whatever reason, right. the ruling class or the priesthood decided they wanted to split that symbolism up with different names in different places to keep the uninitiated from understanding the metaphysical truth behind it and stuck in the literalism story because there's similarities like even with the heathen Thor and Yomungandr is a lot like Michael and the and Satan or Hercules fighting the Hydra, you know, Krishna and Kalia, Apollo and Python. It just, like Horus has a thing with serpents. It just goes on. So, I mean, it's not exactly the same, but I think that there's a, there's some kind of like mirroring, whether it's synchro mystical and it's just innate to our, who we are, that we have this hero's journey story that we reflect from the sky clock or, it was manipulated and done in this way to keep different peoples divided from each other geographically. So what, what my point is, is so my thing is, is it's more like when you're looking at like Lucas was talking about earlier, the thing that Hollywood really screws up with that is they always try to make the, the sun guy, the, the one guy, the, the winner at the end. And it's not the one guy doesn't defeat the other guy and all of a sudden everything's peachy forever. The other guy goes in, he becomes strong again. The next one over and over the cycle just repeats and repeats. So what, what you have is then you don't even have one stationary figure. When you look at things, uh, so like even when you look at uh, the Gnostic texts and the uh, book of Enoch, things like that, um, even what they're talking about the any of the moving stars that which includes the sun um were considered the archons or the evil beings and so the sun wasn't god to them the the now the thing that is stationary and doesn't move and everything else dances around in the sky is polaris 
and we can look at Polaris and everything else, including the fixed stars, which they consider angels because they're marching to the orders of God who sits in the center and they all dance around him. So they're all talking about Polaris. And then when you look at uh, when you look at the sun in and of itself, what it does in comparison to Polaris during a during just a few hours of the day, depending on what portion of the year you're in, the sun outshines Polaris. It hides Polaris from your sight. Polaris never moves. It never changes. No matter whether it's noon and I can see it or midnight or I can't see it or it's midnight and I can. It is right there all the time so the sun occasionally hides that so who is the bright shining morning star oh shit gas generator i'm i'm probably gonna disappear i will be back (laughs) (laughs) i can hear the generator glugging um no i switched it over to the other one uh but yeah, you can tap out. We got all three, sun, unless you're good. The the sun the sun in and of itself um, is what hides Polaris, and then it falls every time it comes up, and it's bright and shining and beautiful. What is Lucifer, the bright shining angel? And then it falls after it hides the sun. It comes up, matches Polaris, which is the North Star. It'll come up, meet that, and then fall every time. So I I don't think I think this sun thing is actually a fairly recent thing. And uh, I think it's tainted a lot of uh, uh, opinions and a lot of thoughts. So because of that, we've really set up this good evil dynamic instead of the way it really was looked at a lot of times was is when you like the sacrifice idea where you go up and you sacrifice the sheep on the one side, that's the perfect seed. The perfect seed gets sacrificed by gaining all the material body that it's going to gain during its fall. During the fall, then it you sacrifice that, which is the separating the wheat from the chaff until you get back up to the perfect seed again. So down here's the goat. So the goat's what you had to sacrifice in order to get back up to them perfect seeds again. So it's just this cycle of of light and dark. And that's not really the all, which is the thing that is constant all the time, never changing. That's 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 kind of, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, Lucas, what do you got? I mean, we just threw a lot around. <laughs> yeah, we did. Um you know, the way I look at things uh, is it's really through this spectacle of the of the Trinity. And so and this really came about because I was looking at the, the galvanic cell and applying it to the world. So you have the, the sun and the moon dynamic, basically. You would have um, the hot-cold, this, this polarity at play, and then there's a connection between them because you need a connection to get the battery going basically. And so it was really this Trinity idea that I, you know, really harp on a lot because it is a, um, a mechanism of energy movement. And so I think when looking at the old mythologies, I think people should, um, you know, try and have that in their minds as well, that there is a, I think they were a much more um, broader in their approach to, to looking at just it's not just the sun it's this 
this um, polarity sort of concept happening and this mercurial figure or this uh, joining between these two polarities, this connection, this uh, communication um, is, is the, uh, that central point. If, if you don't have the communication between the polarities, there's no energy. And so when you start to apply this to how they viewed the world, then I think things can really come out of it. And I'm only at the beginning of it myself in trying to understand this, but um, you know, this is what sort of popped out when I was doing some of that Zodiac as I was explaining those three different types of um, Zodiac layouts and they're all there. And so, and then the battery sort of stuff. So I think it's a really important concept to keep in mind when actually studying mythology. So I have, I have a thought about this too, that in terms of the sun symbolism being conflated with the, the luminaries, the other planets, maybe this is a derivative of, I mean, I don't, I can't say that I know this for sure, but I'm interested in the growing earth or the cosmic egg world tree cosmological model where you start with one land that's at the spine of the world. And then that grows out through the maybe electrolysis process. And there's a single luminary that's like a, an androgen or a mercury at the middle part of the, the realm. And then when the event happens, the electrolysis event, something is also splitting those two things apart and creating the power. Gen- and I think this is probably because the middle ringland doesn't need a power generator in the same way. It's right next to this core where all the charge is at and the density of that charge is at. And then as the earth expands and you get another ring out, you would need to have this polarization of these two forces to create the galvanic battery model for that ring and to generate the toroidal field that is like the frame upon which these things oscillate, the suns and moons. So you have the symbolism in ancient texts of Kronos or Saturn being the sun and being originally like the sun. And that is in a lot of people's uh, work and theories like Velikovsky and plenty of other electric universe proponents. But perhaps it really was like a sun it, to, uh, the, to the people. And then it got sent further out and became a wandering star. Mars and Venus became the next androgen that then split. and then. Apollo and Artemis become the next ones that split. And then now Mercury is in the middle realm. And that's why it's the divine messenger in symbolism. It is a son of a garden of Eden type place or state. Maybe this is all just like wild on the fly conjecture. But to me, that has some possibilities as to why the planets get sun and moon symbolism associated with them on top of their characterological traits as you know, the metals and the colors that they correspond to. Well, let's take it to the actual metal itself and why it's sort of, in a sense, revered because of the uh, really its qualities. Um, it's, you know, liquid and can turn to a gas really easily. It has really high surface tension. It's able to uh, rectify energy, and that means it's able to take maybe AC um AC electricity and turn it into DC, so direct current. Um, it has all these amazing properties, especially um, people have hooked it up to an antenna and they're able to increase their um, 
signal by, you know, a hundredfold and those sort of things. So it, it has this eternal quality to it that it's sort of getting lifted up into the atmosphere and then dropping back down. And But the um, when you put it into the actual model itself, um, what it is, what, what sort of struck me, not only is there a type of electrolysis that can occur in the upper atmosphere, but you can have... Um, Mercury is able to save in nitrates and in the dark, it's actually able to grow silver crystals. Um, and there's also this scientists as of, or have been able to transmutate mercury into gold using basically, um, high voltage, um, you know, electricity as well. So it has all these components as a, um, in a mechanical sense as well. And, and what I pro- proposed as a hypothesis is that, um, because of Mercury's surface tension, its ability to amalgamate metals, um, that's in drawing different metals into itself and hold them, uh, that it was actually a planet former in a sense. So it's able to, um, like I said, grow. Uh, silver and, and those sort of metals, but it's also able to amalgamate and pull it into itself. So when you put these sort of ideas together, um, it, it really does seem like it is actually a planet former. So there, there's a, a number of things in there. Now, if you imagine uh, creation, and creation starts as the all, and then the all splits into an all father and all mother. The thing that needs to happen for something to materially be created is there needs to be a medium for things that energy to flow through. And that medium is always going to be the mercury. So that, that's where things get really, really interesting, where you look at these mercury figures, where the mercury figure has a timeless quality to them. Um a lot of times, uh, because really before the sun and moon, uh, if you imagined it and just a raw energy, it would split into a cathode and anode. And as Chance was saying, and, and Lucas and I also work on this, and then with the different, with a galvanic cycle as compared to an electrolysis cycle, what we're calling the sun and the moon you know that that it's just because that planet is or that uh luminary whatever is lit up that is that close if another one in the uh battery system during the galvanic side which is the biochemical side where the battery is wearing down uh that what would be the sun would be the cathode. But as soon as you start putting charge into that battery, the actions that were happening before completely reverse themselves. So the thing that was the cathode is now the anode because before this, during the galvanic cycle, everything that is lesser than the cathode is deteriorating and sending its energy to the cathode. Now, during the electrolysis cycle, that energy is breaking down the cathode and feeding into the other ones. So that's not really the cathode anymore. That one is the one breaking down and feeding into the other ones. So you see the mechanics have literally reversed. So 
what we're then with that again, the sun then is just rather arbitrary. Um, Polaris never changes. And even when you look again at uh, like heathen cosmology, the sun and the moon are only mentioned just as talking about the sun and the moon, like they're children that were put up into the sky to keep time. Um, it's not Tor, it's not Loki, it's not Heimdall, it's not Odin, it's it's none of the main characters. Um, and then uh, you look at uh, Greek again; it's not Apollo, or it's Apollo. It's not. And even when it's with the uh, discrepancy where, uh, what is it, Helios? Helios is the other one that was uh, before Apollo. Um, either way, we're not talking about, uh, we're not talking about Zeus. We're not talking about Poseidon. We're not talking about Hades. We're not talking about the, the main primary figures. Um, which, again, when, and then when you put it into that duality aspect of understanding that that's where the power is deriving from is that duality between those two sides. There's always something that's higher. Like when you look at your body, uh, your brain, your thought, where you think your most of your thoughts are coming from, your cerebrum and your cerebellum, that's not considered the high point. The crown's considered the high point. You know, you're supposed to have that perfect seed and that seed splits into those two lesser things which is the cerebrum and the cerebellum. And that's, again, what we're talking about. If if energy, pure energy, was pouring through Polaris, that would then split into this, into these, into this cathode and uh, anode in order to create this energetic polarity. And then furthermore, it would have to split even further because that would only be the brain of the system. So that brain portion of it would be one type of energy. And the magnetic portion of the energy would be underneath this because then there would also be a uh, uh, divisor where it's the original all father and the original all mother. And there'd be this also this whole portion. So there'd be an up down also that would only be just between the luminaries. There would also be a differential between underneath that crust area where the crystal grid sits and the luminaries. There's a differential between that also. So I just want to point out one thing about uh, just how confusing and convoluted we've really been duped with this, like Tower of Babel, divide their languages type shit. Because Heimdall, right? You brought up Heimdall. And it made me think about how he's the son of the nine mothers in the mythology. And in Chaldee... <laughs> This is like a this is this is claimed by Alexander Hislop, but in a Chaldee language, to say the son of nine virgins, I looked this up. It is Bin Almut Tesha, but in uh, it to say the son of the virgin of salvation instead of the son of nine virgins, you'd say Bin Almut Isha. So it's Almat Isha versus Almat Tesha, Tesha Isha. It's very, very close. So like just little tweaks like that could totally throw off our ability to interpret what is being said. Is it the nine mothers, the nine virgins, the nine muses, or is it the virgin of salvation? And if it is the virgin singular, that's like Virgo or uh, could even be 
Isha, the word being used in the Chaldee sounds like Ishtar, which is that one goddess. So it's like everything gets really, really mixed up. <laughs> and it's, I, I don't have a point with that other than just like, who knows where the connections are between, like, I think everything is, is heathen at its root. But then, like you said, the sun worship thing did come later that they made the sun the main character and the one that they're worshiping for sure. But like where the technology itself comes from, I seem to be very much connected at the root. Can I take a swing at that Heimdall one real quick? Yeah, yeah. Because this was, I've actually been working on this one, and this one's really cool. So Heimdall, the perfect white shining one. He is, he is perfect. He is born of nine mothers and he is the overseer of men creates the the three uh the three different levels of men the three uh you know your uh Jarl, Karl and Thralls um the so again that brings us right back to that perfect seed that perfect seed has to go down through all nine chakras and in each point in the body as that energy is moving down it gains density it starts gaining more and more and becoming more material when it was up here it was just pure energy it gets more and more material as it moves down to the goat side the groin side and so this is once it gets there it's a different being and you turn around and it goes back up all the way up and becomes the pure shining one. So that's your Christos fluid. And when it's sitting up there, he's sitting at the foot of his castle is at the foot of the rainbow bridge where everything splits into the different colors. He's the white shining one, white being all the colors. And then the rainbow bridge is where the colors have split into different pieces. And so what we're talking about is, is that that fluid, that perfect seed moving all the way down and back up. And, and before that became something real, it had to go through all nine chakras. As I said, it had to, it had to take on a little bit more material, a little bit more body at each stage until then it sacrifices itself and moves itself back up and it loses body and material and goes back into that perfect shining seed. So we're talking about the Christos fluid with that and sitting at the crown. All right. We need to give Lucas some place to weigh in here. Um, I was going to say, like you were talking about how there's a bit of confusion with language and, and definitely there is the other thing that there's, that seems to be confusing for me is that um, the the planet's names are dis- different aspects of the sun as well. So, th- and or they're, you know, like Jupiter is, is referring to the sky and um, those sort of things. So there's, there's definitely a confusion just with the, the names of the planets and, uh, you know. Yeah, like Jupiter, aspects. just to say his name, like when you go back, it would have been, you wouldn't have said a hard J like the earlier etymology, you get the I O for yo Yova. And that's where you also get you, which it became Jew. So you Potter would have been, it would have been a more original name for him and Potter is father, but I O I O is symbolical of the, 
sun and moon together. It's the 10, it's say 10, you know, it's the, okay. it's the completion in a way. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause it's just, that's what I mean. You could follow these little rabbit holes all the way down to their different meanings of, and, and yeah, especially with, like you're saying, Jupiter or, you know, it was, it was really a reference to the sky, the the patterns above, you know, and then you had the mother, which was the mother earth type things and, and those sort of constructs. And um, when you start to put some of these ideas back into um, like the, the planetary names as aspects of the sun in the cycle, um, you know, there is sort of like this little thing that does start to stick out as a creation story that sort of replays every day in a sense that um, this, the sun is born from the mother and then rises into the sky and those sort of ideas. So there's a, it's almost like the creation story from the very beginning is also a representation. It's fractal in a sense that it's, it's playing out every day. So I just find those things um, pretty interesting as well. Oh, that's a really good point that, Whenever, whatever we're studying, the ring of truth is all about recognizing when something is self-similar across scale. That's what proves that it's nature that you're discovering. Yeah, and that's what really stuck out with the, you know, say galvanic cell, but it's really a part of us as well. It's, um, you know, you have the these components that are part of us which is you know your salts your sulfur and this mercurial idea which is like basically like a salt bridge or a communication between the positive and negative but um you you see this same electrochemistry in all of nature so when you see it like you say in that fractal sense and then just apply it up then it really starts to um you know give it valid um you know, validity in that. Hey, we got so many good people in the chat. Karen B just showed up. What up? Karen B. <laughs> yeah, this is probably like a- Lucas saying that word that was supposed to be validity, but I, I, I want to hear him say it. Again. <laughs> <laughs> I missed, I must've missed that. Uh, yeah, I know. I struggle with words sometimes more than often. Than it's, not, it's because uh, he's Australian guys. He thinks everything needs to end with I E and he tries to not do that. And it, then he struggles. It's okay. Well, you know, I have to, I have to double think everything. Cause usually I put a swear word between words and I have to take that out. So it throws me off. Wow. Yeah. You do a really good job with that. It's a good way to slow your speech down and make sure you're speaking the way you want to meticulously cut out the swear word punctuation. <laughs> yeah. That's part of the Australian thing too. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. a real challenge. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm a pirate. <laughs> hey, do you guys want to hear our uh, private conversation? It's bad. <laughs> oh, I heard, you know, I heard what you called Lucas before we went live and Lucas wasn't even here to defend himself. <laughs> it was pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. He seems to do that a lot, actually. I think he just but enjoys the Australian him, custom tell, of really ripping on each other. But then <laughs> yeah. I tell him about it. That's the best part. Then I, I'm the one who tells him about it. <laughs> 
I think that's a good, you know, ex- healthy expression of masculinity. Honestly, we've got too many delicate snowflakes out there. Speaking of delicate <laughs> snowflakes, I've got I've got a a, a video. I like there's a couple from the most delicate snowflake I know, Snake Jones. <laughs> I'm going to see if we can play this and make sure it's loud enough. Should be. But whenever I play it, he sent this into our call in line. When I play it, just give me the thumbs up if you can hear it well enough. If it's too quiet, I'll revise that somehow <laughs> on the fly. But here we go. Yeah, because I want to catch up on the questions and, and comments from our call in line while we still have time, because they'll probably take us into a lot of tangents. All right, Snake Jones. Don't do it. Don't do it. That's a cute goat. I know what you're thinking. I don't know why it came through so choppy. Chicken food is for chickens. Let me see that little egg. When they poop, they just poop. Uh, That's looking good, Snake. Living the dream. Is there a midget chicken? Can you get it? Oh my god. Do we got a midget chicken? <laughs> Look at him. He's just waiting for his chance. Naughty goat. Get, get. Oh, that's good. Hey, guys. Um, Yeah, the question I was thinking about all day is uh, the practical aspects of this, because I don't, you know, have a formal education, and it's kind of great because my teachers are Ben and um, Lucas right now. And, uh, guys, uh, Lucas's Telegram is awesome. I'm in there. He's putting out just good stuff, stuff I can work with. And, yeah, the question is, um, what can I do at home with something like this? Can, can I make my own battery? Should I do some electrolysis experiments with like colloidal silver or electroplating? Because it does, this is what we're talking about, right? We're talking about the, uh, what is it? The Odin and the Cathor, <laughs> right? The salt bridges. Just, that's my question. What can I do at home, uh, to actually get some hands on stuff? Uh, experience with this hey that's a great couple of videos thank you snake but i want to say real quick if anybody wants to send videos in there's a way to record directly into a telegram message and it makes your video come through with like a circle instead of a full video it it goes better translates better to the show if you just take a regular video and post it in just a little producer chance heads up <laughs> um, so what can you English? do? <laughs> you talking about snake? No, I'm talking about you. What the what the what the what? Uh, <laughs> I forgot you're a technological barbarian, right? Well, just <laughs> dismiss that. Go back to Snake's question, Lucas, and and uh, Ben. If you have anything to say, you can follow up. I'll be building the battery. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I they're pretty simple to make. Like you can just use a people make them out of fruit and stuff, like lemons and things. But um, yeah, it's just 
it's pretty simple to make a uh, battery. So I'd recommend building it and, and seeing what it does and getting some power out of it and doing all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, same with the electrolysis. There's tons of things you could do with that, um, which is basically getting a power supply and, and doing the reverse of the battery. So it's, it's one's output and one's input. So 100% just um, keep reading up on it and, and play around and find something that um, you want to use it for. In the chat, Illuminati mentioned, have you seen Balderson's battery bank? Did you build some batteries or did you just have a sweet setup, Ben? Oh, what are you eating? <laughs> I have, uh, Lucas was talking. Um, <laughs> oh, wait, have, wait, you finish. I have 24 uh, L16 uh, lead acid batteries uh, stacked in uh, its three series of eight. You know, I'm a heathen, you know. <laughs> yeah do you have any thoughts on like building your own batteries and experimenting with that electrolysis right, experiment he mentioned i do so first let's understand that let's let's just simplify this for everybody because we're talking about you know people are just starting experiments at home when you're talking about an electrolysis event there's external power put in so Either the cathode, which is where you're putting in the positive side of that power, is going to start breaking down. Or if it's in a solution that's able to break down, that energy will transfer off into that solution and sometimes break down or send the charge through that solution. Um, So that's what we're talking about with electrolysis. And there's a number of things that you can do with that. Snake was right on the money with uh, colloidal silver. You know, colloidal silver is fairly easy to make. Um, the same applies to just about everything. You can just start breaking things down into their uh, component pieces, seeing what's, what happens. Um, lots of different things you can do with those. We all know what Ormus is also. So the same thing that you're talking about there. Um And then on the flip side, you're talking about galvanic and galvanic is where the energy is transferring because of a chemical reaction, because of some type of uh, differential and some type of deterioration. Uh, And with that, there's a lot of really interesting experiments that a person can do. And another thing to include is uh, check out autodidactics uh, channel. Um, he has a guy on there that's working with spark gaps. That's just fantastic. Um, which really spikes up your voltage and you start playing with uh usable voltage and amperage and understanding that when you spike up your voltage like that for free, well, voltage and amperage are uh, inversely proportional. So if you get something that for no apparent reason, like a spark gap is all of a sudden spiking your voltage, uh, you've got this all of a sudden glut of voltage that was not in the system. Well, now you just take and invert it into amperage And now you've got a bunch of amperage because, again, amps and uh, volts are inversely proportional. So there's all kinds of different setups you could do with that. Now, Lucas and I are obviously already in talks of uh, building a battery based off the galvanic model 
that him and I have been working on for the last couple of years uh, and putting that together and making a functional model. And obviously, if this matches at all nature, this should basically at least be the best battery that's ever fucking existed. You know, it, it basically is running just off of nothing. Um, I'd like to see you guys so have a three man conversation with Wiseman. Dude's also I got know, some we're, good we're, knowledge. We're, we're dread. Lucas is coming in. I got Wiseman coming on in uh, February and Lucas is coming in for that. Uh, we're going to, we're going we're gonna, to uh, double team him and we're going to try and drag him mm. into the crew. Like mm, you're joining yeah. us, George. Yes. <laughs> cool. So I saw that we coming from a mile brain. away. Hey, I'm going to yes. snip away for a second, but I'll still be able to hear. Um, but I got to, I drank a bunch of orange juice before the show. And I guess it's not staying inside me. I'll be right back. <laughs> I understand. I understand. So that should make the best battery ever. Um, there's a few other thoughts that I have uh, with things that you could do. Like if you're setting up and making like the hydrogen machine, which is an electro- electrolysis machine, um, which is just then creating the breakdown of the water because the water is going to break down easier than the, the anode and the cathode are. Um, so, but what's building up in the machine matches what the plates are made out of and the anode and the cathode. And so there's a lot of experiments, you know, you could maybe gold plate some of them um silver plate some of them and then see if the sludge that appears inside the machine matches that or try doing it with a pure solid electrodes all kinds of experiments and then the idea is is again to either get your voltage side built up or your amperage side built up and then uh once you do that you switch that into something usable and start making usable power that you can actually drive something with because that's the challenge right there is is making it into something you can drive something with it go ahead lucas especially for the the battery idea and and the applying it to the world is is actually really quite complicated to make it because um, you're dealing with so many different sort of things at play that you would have to manufacture that those qualities in a sense Say for example, um, we've got the this um, solid dome basically that's frozen, <laughs> you know. So you're going to have to manufacture those things. Um, there's also um, it's not just one battery; it's it's overlaying multiple batteries at the same times. That's why you're getting this um, what's called a thermogalvanic battery, which is a heat differential battery. So, you know, you could even play around with those sort of concepts as well, where you're heating one side and cooling the other and getting electrical transfer just from that hot and cold. So, you know, this, you know, when, you know, when I was thinking about, you know, how would I actually approach actually, you know, doing a model of this, it's like you've got to take so many different things into account to actually get the the setup um, correct as well. So... Um, the other thing that I think people should probably be aware of and, and maybe play around with is um, the gate engine. The other thing and this, that I think the gate engine is basically um, you you basically 
go into the fourth state of matter. So you start with your solid, liquid, gas, and then plasma. So that would be what you're trying to do is go from a liquid to gas to plasma and actually running an engine on plasma. And I think that's um, probably something that's it's very practical that is probably the future of um, energy supply for homes and things like that. And it's a, it's, it's basically a way of refining um, materials to create energy, you know, utilize that energy that's inherent in those materials. So the, it's called um, G E E T. So the GEET engine and um, you know, those things run on, and it, it actually works um very similar to how the sun works in a sense. It's got in a low pressure system. Um, you've, you're basically a magnetic field is set up and then you're dealing with, um, with gases and heat. So it, it works exactly the same way. You have those three same principles. And so I think that's where, um, the future of efficiency really lies in, in working with plasmas as an energy source. I found well, a the whole thing of is heat. the whole thing is when you look at it what this what this is doing is is really taking almost a higher understanding because once you reach that level of energy everything's kind of the same and so at that point once you once this thing's producing that plasma energy you can literally yeah I know there's puppies crying um, <laughs> and we just want to see them I mean we can hear puppies who doesn't they, want they to see puppies? see puppies they want to see puppies uh, I'm sure um, the chat will agree what once you uh once you uh oh yes hi pretty girl say hi to everybody Everybody see you, right? Oh, wrinkle face. Yes. This one, this one is this one's spot. This is the very first one out of our out of our dogs that has any color on him whatsoever. And this one pops out and a little tail just a going. There's your spot. Hi spot. Hi buddy. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. Oh, you're gonna give me? No, don't get my earbuds though. <laughs> this is making everyone's night, I think. Who doesn't um, love some puppies? So once you get whatever the material is, because that's the thing with this geet is is once you've reached this plasma state, it doesn't really matter what you put in there. It can be coffee, um, you know, orange juice, take a leak into it, you know, um, you know, give it some urine therapy, whatever. Uh, you know, what, once you're uh, once you're able to harvest from this plasma level, all you need to do is take whatever it is and get it to that plasma level. And that's what we're talking about here. So it, it's really a uh, uh, higher understanding when you're dealing with that because everything is just energy condensed. And just like we were talking about earlier with Heimdall and the rainbow, where Heimdall's this shining, perfect white thing, because we all know white gives out all colors. And underneath him is the rainbow, which is the, is the color splitting into individual things and losing that wholeness. When we take that energy and move it back up to that 
prime level and start harvesting off of that, we don't have this issue of needing these differentials. And that's what we're talking about with this. Yeah, this stuff's really interesting. I I built one back in, it's been a few years now, but it was just a small little, um, you know, it was a little petrol engine and then I fitted it out with the gate. And, and basically what it does is it takes the um, the heat from the engine output, the exhaust, and wraps it around the intake. And then the some of that those gases are actually put into a bubbler which is like a little small fuel container and it bubbles through the, the hot air is bubbling through your fuel. And so the gases are coming off and then it goes into the intake and then there's a metal rod, just an iron rod in there. And that rod starts spinning when these gases are flowing into the engine. And so as the piston comes down, you, you're creating a vacuum. Uh, you got the, the heat and then you've got a spinning rod, which creates a magnetic field. And so you've got those three things that that are operating and then you're getting um, basically breaking down these uh, this material into a plasma. And so, yeah, the efficiencies are unreal. And um, the first thing I sort of noticed is like, well, when I first built it, I'm like, oh, well, I better test it out. And um, so I just put half fuel, half water, and it actually started to run better. So that was the first thing. It's like, and then I started running and on, you know, what a coke and different things that were laying around in the shed. But um, yeah, so it would would do those things. It was finicky because you have to deal with um, uh, vacuums and things like that. So they that does need, um, you know, a bit more skill, more skill level than I had back in those days. It was more like turning taps on and and these sort of things to get it going. But um, yeah, definitely people should look out for that, especially if they're looking into sort of going off grid and 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 setting up maybe a standalone generator. And that's yeah, that's what I plan to do as well for here. So yeah. Really cool. You guys want to bounce to the next question? Yeah. Okay. This one I I don't want to speak too soon, but it might be more for you, Lucas, but I'm sure both of you will have thoughts. It's from let me pull up the screen. Gabriel, also known as Slick Dissident, who I know has been lurking in your chat, Lucas. He says, I'm curious about the lunar standstill cycle as it might relate to a larger timescale expression of the analemma or a lunar lemniscate. The lemniscate is like the infinity symbol and the analemma really is too, but it's more upright like an eight. And he also has got, uh, he says it's possible... He's curious about its possible implications to some kind of cosmic cymatic resonance, the the uh, lunar standstill cycle. And he's got an image from your recent show with Pat over at Pat Life Podcast, who I've I've been on with him too. Maybe Ben has too. Cool dude. So I'll leave this so image up and let Pat you talk is, into Pat it. Pat is awesome if you haven't checked him out. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so I don't know about like sort of the resonance, resonance thing. Um, basically how I there's a, the moon and the sun are communicating. So definitely there is, um, a something that would be changing. And I think it's mainly weather wise. And, you know, if you're looking in astro- uh, astrology sort of stuff, then, I think it would definitely affects uh, on 
events as such. Um, it's interesting to know that we're sort of going into um, at 2025 is this, the lunar maximum. So, you know, is there some correlation between what's going on now and this sort of ending period of this, um, the lunar maximum? I think maybe there might be because there are definitely uh, seem to be weather correlations as well. And you know that we sort of um, energetically um, react to the moon as well um, in a sense that, you know, you have a full moon and certain um, characteristics happen. So um, does this change in the swing of the moon between every month uh, and its positional um, shifts, does that have a, a larger impact on growth cycles, um, how we react and things? I think it does. And, you know, can you find information on this? Uh, I think it's very difficult. I've tried to find some stuff, but um, a lot of the good things are, are sort of well hidden, as you may know. But um, the other things that, that correspond to this is, say, um, people doing stock market type analysis and so they very much rely on these sort of lunations and um am i covering answering that question well enough you reckon <laughs> i mean you, you can only do your best but the only thing that i don't know maybe you kind of did address it he uh, wanted to know about cymatics in context with that but i think I think cymatics, once you look into it enough, it becomes self-evident that all the oscillations that we perceive are really sound-based and they just are witnessed by us on a variety, a, a large scale or spectrum of different sensory modalities. But it's all vibratory, it's all sound, and thus it's all cymatic in its effect, whether or not we can perceive it quite as clearly as like putting sand on a plate and putting sound through the that so i think that there is a probably <laughs> definitely some implications to cosmic cymatic resonance and that even comes through and expresses in number i had an interesting revelation the other day i think it was yesterday maybe the day before about you know there's a there's often been when we look at stuff like the tarot and we try to examine it from alchemical but then also we try to then examine it from astrological different symbolism sets become confused between those two lenses. And one of those confusions that's been constantly a topic in my circles lately, thanks to Ben really bringing this to the, the fore, although it's in the mythology going back and it's even in writers like Tolkien, the masculine moon, feminine sun. And what made me start thinking about this uh, again was the metonic cycle and the Soros cycle. So with the metonic cycle, you have a 19-year cycle where the moon returns to, uh, you know, where it was before. Like, interesting that there was a metonic cycle of 19 years between 9-11 and cooties breaking out. And, like, you know, that was the previous metonic cycle was all about the war on terror. And now this one's going to be probably about scamdemics and medical dictatorship. Probably maybe pivot into climate climate lockdowns, but I don't know if that's going to be as soon as people think. I, I could see them writing out the the pandemic stuff for a whole metonic cycle and then going hard on climate change because after you've had 19 years of beating it into your mind, 
that lockdowns are effective or the government is allowed to do them, then climate lockdowns would be no sweat. But I don't think they could pull that off really quickly. Anyway, I'm getting ahead or I'm getting in a tangent. So the metonic cycle, 19 years relating to the moon. Well, one and nine, going back to the, the nine thing again, is really one. So that's your pole. And the Soros cycle for the sun is an 18 year cycle. And that's where the sun comes back to where it was for eclipses every 18 years. Um, to put it in a really simple nutshell, people should look into it. S-O-R-O-S cycle. So if the sun has a cycle of 18 years, well, that's a one and an eight is a nine. So you have your masculine, the one, and the feminine with the nine cycle. And in the tarot, to bring this back to the tarot, they have the moon card listed as 18 and the sun listed as 19, which would correspond them to being a masculine sun, feminine moon, like we're taught in Occidental Western occultism. But the cycles of those those, uh, planets, if you will, more correspond to them being feminine, feminine uh, sun, masculine moon. Now, I don't like to get hang, hung up on that to the point where like it's a hard dogma because really anodes and cathodes flip <laughs> over time anyway, as Ben talks mm-hmm. about. So they can probably both correspond to both. But I, I just do a lot out there. And so I'll, I'll tell you the reason why I came to that conclusion. And it's. And you do see both versions, so in mythology and things like that. So, what it was really me trying to figure out: well, what one's acting as the the anode, and what one's acting as the cathode. And so, when you look at a galvanic cell, um, you're looking at one side; the anode produces oxygen, and the other side produces hydrogen. And so when you start to put this into place into our world, well, you say the, the moon's producing oxygen and the, and the sun's producing hydrogen, burning hydrogen, like actually like they actually say. Um, so that was how it fit. And so then, then there's an energy direction that ha- occurs in a galvanic cell because it's a direct current. And so it goes from anode to cathode. And so this sort of idea would be the masculine, uh, you know, feeds to the feminine and then the feminine radiates out, um, lifts all the waters up and um, feeds the masculine. It is very circular, but there is a a definite direction when you're putting it in this model. And so that's really what I was looking at. And so... um, that's where the the feminine masculine came from it was it was more uh, the actions of the battery rather than anything else and then i did find correspondences in older mythology where you would have these two figures um whether it was um was thoth and sheset and then they got the the horus is the child and so there's this um, same sort of principle at play where you have the Sheset character, the, this son with the lion figure, um, lion colours and, and very sun-like colours on her, um, and she is the intuition side of things and she gives um, basically um, knowledge to the masculine side and then that masculine side basically interprets what she's saying in a sense. So there is that sort of uh, symbology that's corresponding to sun and moon as well as our own psychology. Um, 
So I found all those things fascinating. You should have heard some of the, uh, this was like, I think this was one of the things that took Lucas and I the longest time to actually work through. And like every other day we would talk because Lucas and I talk on the phone probably at least five days a week for a couple hours. And like every other day we would flip sides almost like we were debate (laughs) teams practicing, just constantly arguing with each other about it. Uh, Cause it, you know, it's so heavily programmed from the Abrahamic. Now, when you really start looking at this battery cycle and as when like in oh is that the point where ben loses internet and has to go voltron and come back (laughs) is that the the generator to just die it it seems to happen around i don't know an hour and 15 minutes an hour and a half i've done a lot of shows with ben now (laughs) (laughs) yeah he'll probably be back he has to assume switch to a different modem so i'll watch for him to start moving okay. again in the screen, but I'll take his funny swollen frozen face that we can mock uh, down for now <laughs> and he'll come back. But yeah. Uh, is there anything else you want to say on this subject before I play another question? No, go for a minute. Okay. So this question, and then we'll let Ben come back and when he gets back in and address that whole question, I just don't know how long it'll be. So uh, this comes from SB Alger or Sean who Ben actually had on Odin's Alchemy not long ago. He's a fellow co-spider with the Weaving Spiders and the host of RX Only Picture Show with Jim Maiden. So it's a brief question. I kind of listened to it already a little bit, tried to, and uh, sounds like it's relating to Analemma also, which I'm super fascinated with. So here we go. I'm going to unmute it, and we will play. It's muted still. Okay, here we go. Hey guys, I got a question for you. Um, have you ever doubted the analemma as being legitimate? Because that was part of my square flatter study is that we had our doubts whether the analemma was demonstrable through research. I hey haven't guys, verified I it myself. But, oops. I haven't verified it myself, but it seems like it'd be something with modern technology that would be really easy to validate. And I've seen photographic evidence that seems to validate it, but I haven't zetetically done it myself. Yeah, same. And I, I thought it was basically, yeah, you just go out at the middle of the day or the same time every day and take a photo. And it is yeah, from the same angle, so the same position, same angle. That way you can see exactly how the sun is doing that pattern. Now, to me, another question is like, is it like that forever? Does the oscillation oscillation pattern change in a thousand years? And we really wouldn't have any way to know that. Yeah, that's been a that's been on my mind as well as like, especially looking at the lunar standstills and things like that, and this slow oscillation that happens over, um, you know, eighteen point six years or nineteen years is like, well, does the sun do the same thing? Has the sun always reached? Uh, cancer and Capricorn sort of thing, those ideas. And is that movement, but is there a movement there with the sun that actually creates the ages? Uh, so, uh, you know, there's just a few little questions like that, but um, I don't know. We're behind in a lot of a lot of our understanding of what's real and what's not real. So it's just a matter of um, seeing how these things play out and correlate to each other. But um, 
Yeah, the analemma is fascinating too because it sort of details. Um, I've thought about it in a couple of different ways. Um, one one way is that it actually shows that there's um, a time discrepancy in, um, you know, the the speed of the sun. So that's one way of looking at it. And the other way of looking at it is actually um, we're only seeing it from sort of one perspective that we're we're looking up. And it could actually be more like a um, an Ouroboros or a, one of those, a Mobius strip rather than an analemma as such. It's, it's just because of our perspective, um, it, it could be twisted. That's a really good point that there's also depth and height to account, account for, but we're kind of seeing it on this two-dimensional plane from our perspective of the horizon and the, the dome. And, and that was when I was looking at the analemma and this idea of the sun actually creating a visual effect of where we see the stars. Um, what I was looking at the, the analemma in a different way that you could actually say, well, um, it's changing height as well as, you know, um, its position relative to can- Cancer and Capricorn. And that would actually, you know, sort of, if it's doing that Amobius strip type thing, like a, a movement upwards and downwards, well, that may account for this circular movement rather than just a figure eight, which would be only, um, you know, one half of a circle and then reverse in a sense. So there's just, there's oddities that are going on that we, we probably just don't know about. So when you describe it as a potential Mobius strip, I'm trying to visualize that because a Mobius strip requires that there's a a two-dimensional strip, if you will. It's like if you had a piece of paper, say my hand has a front side and a back side, and it's a figure eight that also twists. So are you saying that we're seeing a different side or face of the sun potentially at different parts of the cycle? Because like with the moon, we only ever see the same thing, which leads people yeah. to have ideas like that it's a, a map or a, a projection or a hologram, that kind of idea. I think they are. Um, you can screen share too. That, that should be easy to yeah, do. Well, I'll, I'll screen share this picture. I'll... Um... Hey, we got your screen share. So you can see that? Yeah, it's like a rubber band. Yeah, so I just basically was thinking about the analemma as a rubber band. So this would be the perspective that we're seeing it on the on the ground, and then you move it as a different side-on perspective, and that's the same thing. It's still crossed, but you just um, you're looking at it from a different perspective. So I think it was just something I was playing with. Um, it's just an idea. Yeah. Yeah, that is cool. That gives a different dimensionality to it for sure. Yeah. I don't know. There's lots and lots and lots to think about with what's going on. Um, Yeah. So So we've also got another question from Snake Jones, and we're hitting the bottom of the call-in line, which is cool. We can always keep it going, but I want people to know that they can drop questions or leave us voicemails in there. I might even open it up to like a live caller if uh, or two if Ben doesn't pop back in. Because you never know. Sometimes he's just gone. 
<laughs> he's a slippery fucking dude. Oops, I cursed. <laughs> but uh, I posted it the the Telegram group for Vibrant calls in the two chats, and the last question that's currently hanging in there. Although we did get a share of your music, which I'll play that at the end. You have a song, a track created with Marty Leeds, I hear, which is pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Done that yeah, a while back. Yep. Yeah. So we'll play that as like our outro and that'll okay. be fun. I like having music at the end and hanging out in the chat. So yep. um, Snake Jones, back to Snake Jones, he says, can I become a market gardener? What does it take for someone to live that lifestyle? I think that would probably apply across countries pretty similarly. Might be yeah. even more expensive where you live compared to like we live, me and snake live in the same state and it's extremely low cost of living and low fear levels. It's pretty great. Missouri. Oh. <laughs> where I am, it's um, pretty, pretty cheap. Um, and basically oh, right on. where I, where I bought, um, I had land around the house. So, and that's where I did it in town, basically. Um, you can do it by, you know, let, borrowing people's land and things like that. I really highly recommend looking at um, JM Fortier's work um, and also Curtis Stone. He's done a lot of stuff, and that's basically where I learned from. Um, they're actually not that hard to set up. I mean, your main sort of outlays would be because um, you can. I nearly use all hand tools once the garden's sort of set in place. It's just a matter of hand tools. Um, so m- one of the major outlays is probably the um, uh, the cool room. So being able to store and um, you know harvest your stuff, wash your stuff, and then store it in in somewhere where you can actually keep it to ready to go to market. And then the biggest thing is like you know. Um, you know, where can you sell your product? So if you've got a decent market to sell to, you've got enough people. I mean, it's just a matter of um, finding a bit of land and and going at it. It's it's really not that expensive. I, I think I spent uh, 25000 or something setting it up. That was with the cool room. It was a cheap cool room to start with. It was like a $1,000 cool room. Um, I bought the, the push seater. I bought... Um, I actually ended up buying the reason it was that much, which you could do it even cheaper is I bought a, a rotary hoe, which people could get away with not even with just hiring one to set up the garden first of all. And then, um, and then you're right. You just got a few rakes and hose and, um, yeah, once you got your cedar, you're, you're laughing. I just use a big bathtub to actually, um, wash all the veggies and, uh, yeah made all the tables myself so yeah right on uh the question from me is do you employ much of what you know about metaphysics electricity mysticism maybe even like permaculture i mean i assume you're not doing like the same type of grow operations as farmer bob down the road from me <laughs> i mean no. if there if there is a farmer bob probably well, I was I was farming well before I got into sort of um, the the electric side of the the flat earth and things like that. I was actually, in some ways, I was, um, you know, I've been listening to how the economy works and monetary system and all that, and I was like, this thing's fucked. So I was like, I've got to do something that you know um, that I enjoy doing 
as well as is a, is a protection mechanism if things hit the fan, you know. And so that's why I sort of um, got into farming. And it's, it's really been good, you know, through all this sort of stuff. Um, my wife, she does um, catering. So, you know, I've, people haven't really been supporting me as much as I'd like here. So it just means I'm really growing for the kitchen. And so it's it's been really um, a team effort. And being able to stay home and, um, you know, have that flexibility and, um, you know, work out what you want to do to the, for the day and if you're not, you haven't got the energy or the, or the day is not quite right. You can do something else or, you know, work, do work arounds and actually spend time, uh, you know, studying or whatever it is, researching. So it's a really good lifestyle if you can, um, you know, move into it. Yeah. I'm not having to just go out to stores to eat <laughs> would be pretty helpful. I find myself spending so much time just going to the big rectangle with all the food. At least I can get the organic produce around here and it's not bad in terms of price. Like I have a great access to diet, but self-reliance is the key to sovereignty. So that's great. And being able to work from where you live and then have that ability to oscillate back and forth from research and physical labor productivity. And to also, (laughs) since you're your own boss, you can easily do both at the same time, listen to something while you're, while you're hoeing, <laughs> rotary hoeing. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, yeah, that's right. Like it's, it really is, um, it's been, because doing the nine to five and, and working for, like I was in a government job and, and those sort of things. I was actually yeah. a, um, a firefighter for a while. Um, so it was, it's just, you know, it was tedious. And, and once you get out of that system, um, you realize how, you know, soul destroying it actually is, you know, um, and to grow something and grow something that, you know, is healthy and no chemicals, um, trying to do the best for the soil and all that sort of stuff is, is really, um, actually nice to give to people as well. So it's very, you know, you feel like you're being a contribution to society or, or whatever. So I think that's, it's been a really good thing for me. Yeah. I really, I think that if people quit their jobs and just started growing food, we would be out of most of the messes that the world is in right now. <laughs> that would do it. Uh, so to pivot back to the sun question and the analemma, there was a commenter, I think it was Heartline. I want to make sure now. Yeah. It says the sun is a tube. Oh, we got Benjamin back. I think we'll see if he loads in. Looks like it though. But the idea of the sun as a tube. Oh yeah. Hey, what's up, buddy? Had to get Voltron the stinger. (laughs) Yeah, I figured. I let everyone know that you were wrestling with Voltron. (laughs) We were having a little chat about the farming lifestyle and let's back up and I'll come back to the question of sun as tube because I at least have a little bit of thoughts about that. Uh, Ben. The question that we just fielded from Snake Jones, it was for Lucas. Snake doesn't really want to know your opinion, but I do. He wants to know about being a market gardener. What does it take for someone to live uh, the lifestyle that they can profit off their produce and take it to market? Do you have experience with that? No. (laughs) 
<laughs> nothing to say about that. You just do your own stuff. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it, for me so far, it's most, I mean, we do do some, uh, we do take stuff to market. Um, not anything I grow. I got too much animals, you know, uh, everything extra that we got basically either goes into a ferment or goes to the animals. I haven't been able to expand it a, a garden out to near the size that Lucas has. I mean, holy smoke, some of the, you know, him and I are talking and he'll see, you know, he'll have videos and he's walking along in his greenhouse and just phenomenal. Um, I don't produce anything near that volume yet. Uh, partially again, because I have animals, so I have to split my resources, split my time. And then the animals themselves, you really have to fortify your garden or else the animals themselves are the worst thing ever for your garden. Um, this year, you know, this last year, because I uh, moved, I didn't have a garden set up at all. So I took, I got this tool trailer. It's a, an enclosed trailer that uh, isn't in the frames a little bent on it. So uh, I got it for free. Um and I just took and parked it there and I use it for my tools. Uh, so I took, uh, and tried doing a garden on top of that. And even that I had a hell of a time. We were constantly, Oh, when my grandsons were here, it was great because we had a bunch of purple potatoes up there and stuff. And, uh, my one grandson, Odin, he, he was, he was our little watchdog and he'd go flying across the yard. Get off there, peacocks. And just screaming at him. And he'd, he'd run up the ladder and go up there and chase the peacocks off. I was, hilarious good stuff but uh yeah no i don't uh i lucas has more uh experience in that area than i do i do do the alpaca hair um i make a bunch of things i pick a bunch of things wild like a wild horse tail things like that but actually growing and sustaining off of what you grow uh lucas is the man you're the man what <laughs> I'm kick it to you. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. So oh, was okay, me? was I supposed to come in then? Yeah, I mean, I, if you're the man, you get to decide whether or not you come in. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. So we got uh, this question of the sun as a tube that I was hanging on to, and we were looking at the rubber band Mobius strip. Could be conceptualized as a tube action. I don't know. Why I think that there could be some ref, like fractal correspondence to nature with that idea is just that I mean, how many non, tubes? Non, nature's got tubes everywhere. You just got to look at it. Yeah, just non-Euclidean. It could easily be a tube. It's just non-Euclidean. Yeah, yeah. There, let's yeah, let's go there. Uh, I was just gonna say about tubes is that they're in our body. They're everywhere. It's like everything is just like a bunch of tubes. Yeah, yeah nanotubes. Nanotubes. Yeah, and batteries too. Like the batteries I want are uh, nano or uh, carbon nanotubes. Well, like think okay. about the think about the generative <laughs> principle. The sex organs, which are the like in a way the the furthest back ancestors of the the fractal scaling, you know, it's the one and the zero. It's the pole and the hole. It's an uh, external tube and an internal tube. So mm -hmm. if the, mm -hmm. you know, if the luminaries had some kind of structure like that, it would make sense. It's just like you can't get outside the 
firmament to investigate that. So Hardline says it's the Antonio Subriats theory. That is interesting. But no, if you've never looked at uh, non-Euclidean geometry, that's like what uh, coral display and stuff. So it's not like normal geometry. You can't mathematically figure it out at all. Uh, it doesn't work. Um, <laughs> it's so really weird, weird shit. But something that uh, is 100 miles apart could be an inch apart at the same time. Um, very, very interesting if you've never looked at, looked into it. There, it's a very uh, small field because there's not any really great answers for any of it. You can't really mathematically figure it out. Yeah, I don't know. Um I, I just see them as as um, sort of spheres and metals. <laughs> so it might be a little bit boring, or it might be too, you know, back to the old, old sort of system viewpoint that people sort of want to stray away from. But um, that's what makes the most sense when um, viewing it in the battery terms. But are there other things going on? Tubular sort of motions of sending energy. Don't know. Karen B's looking at it with a solar filter on a P900. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, uh, she says it doesn't look like a tube. That's what the comment says. I feel you. It's a fun thought experiment, though. Uh, so in the Rockfin chat... I, I wanted... Can I get back to what I was saying before Voltron decided he needed some lube? I figured um, you forgot with as much dabs as you do, but sure, man. Fuck no. <laughs> You would be shocked. I can like two years later, I will pick up this conversation. It's stupid. Um, okay, cool. But uh, so the when we were figuring, I don't out remember what we were talking about. Feminine. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> it's it's okay. It, when we were when we were figuring out that masculine and feminine mass aspect, then we had to take it to then the reproductive uh, cycle. And because that's what you're looking at with like, you know, the sun, Jesus, the sun being born or, you know, any of the mercurial figures uh, being the production. But then also being from before them is this understanding. So when you look at the human birth cycle, in order to get that something more, you're talking about the reproductive cycle. And when you look at that cycle, the the man gives something of himself into the woman and, and it's extraordinarily energetic. And then there's a gestation period and the woman puts her own into it again. And then something greater, something more than what either of the two of them put into it comes out, comes from it. So, and again, when you're looking at the anode, the reaction that you're having is a fission reaction, which is a, which is a small reaction. The reaction that you're getting at the cathode is a fusion type reaction um, where the actual energy particles from the anode are merging with the cathode uh, and there's a fusion happening, which all again, you take all of this back to the birth cycle. You really start to put the which sides masculine and which sides feminine during our current state of affairs, which side is and which side is doing what? It's just putting the mechanics to it. <clears throat> Word. 
<laughs> Lucas yep. I just saw you shared a while back. Well, it wasn't that long ago, eight minutes. So I'm not too slow, but your Instagram where you've got some pictures of produce and farm stuff. So I think I want to pull that up just for fun. Yeah, um, a bit old, but you get the idea. Yeah. So you got a music farm. You got. <laughs> <laughs> That's the room I got in now. So it's my sort of studio and that. Um, Is this your rotary hoe? Yeah. <laughs> cool. There's oh, some tomatoes man. there. Going and juicing right out of the garden has got to be like yeah, next level. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. These are just pretty, man. It's a nice looking. You do boxes for yeah. people where they just take all like what they need for the home. Used, used to. I was, I was, um, there was a time when I was doing tons of these every week. Um, so it'd just be. I was growing lots of different things um, and putting them into boxes like you see here. And it was about 30 bucks a box or something like that. And um, yeah, then it sort of dropped off. And when all this sort of nonsense hit, a lot of the uh, markets dropped off as well. So uh, it it really did take a big hit of the farm um, because I was also selling, um, I'd do pre-made um, salads. Um, I don't know if there's pictures there of it, but um, yeah, so I would have a, a mixed bag, you know, like your your spicy mix or you just um, salanova mix and things like that. So I was doing these um, salad mixes and bagging them up and selling them to the shop. And so that even that sort of stuff, because I live close to a border, they shut down the border, and so I couldn't go across to <laughs> sell. And it was it was just getting painful to do all this sort of stuff. And so it's um, and and my wife, she she did a lot of catering gigs, and and that mean every other weekend we're doing weddings or um, going to say horse races or whatever it was, and um, yeah, selling, you know, doing the doing the catering there. So that a lot of that stopped as well. So now it's down to sort of um, really have to redefine how I'm doing the garden and. Um, you know, and what, how we're approaching things. But, um, yeah, this whole thing's really has in a sense, if you do think about it, uh, you know, has taken a huge toll on, on what, um, cause we're cranking or making some good cash to, you know, get us all out of debt and all the rest of that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, definitely a, an attack on independent small business type people, the whole situation, the wealth transfer from, the regular folks to the super billionaire class is obvious. Snake Jones says, Lucas is living my dream. Yeah. Well, man, you're making fast progress, Snake. I'm impressed all the time with what you share. Um, so here's a cool question from the Rockfin chat. Since we're just showing all these different vegetables, Day Tripper, thanks for the tip. Day Tripper wants to know about nature's signature, which would be like, different vegetables corresponding to what they look like in the body, like the carrots to the eye, walnut to brain, tomato to heart, et cetera. Do you guys have thoughts on that? Absolutely. That's a, it, it's all very cymatic. So uh, the things that are very similar, they're going to work more together. Um, absolutely. When you try to eat those things that correspond are very similar to those parts in your body it definitely feeds those parts it tends to have the minerals in it the minerals in and of itself 
<clears throat> is what's <clears throat> creating the pattern. So when you look, uh, most people, when they look at Masuru Emoto's work, um, think that water itself holds the memory and it doesn't. So if, if, uh, you read his work and actually get his books and read them and, and start putting more of a thought process to it, his initial, uh, experiments where he just used the droplets of water and froze them and looked at whatever they made, um, that had the salt in it. And then in order to put in external input and make that stick, he wiped the memory of the salt of the water, which it was distilling the water um, and removing all the salts. So the salts are the solid structure part of the entire thing. And uh, that mineral that's in that is going to correspond to the mineral in the body that's also making that similar type structure that's going to be the cymatic pattern of that mineral uh, yeah it all comes back to cymatics i mean i kind of take it for granted that people know about that but i really ought to have a full-on cymatics expert on the show sometime because it's really really crucial key part of the puzzle. I think there's something to be said for um, eating the foods that you grow at the certain times of the year as well that really make a difference, not just because you're getting it so ripe, and but they, they're sort of corresponding to that um, time frame. So I think there's something um, important to that and there's also like your body's um, needs at that time that that fruit comes or or vegetable yeah. comes ready yeah like if you think about tomatoes and things and i've been like because <laughs> i've got so many of them at the moment yeah, i just eat them constantly it's like nearly breakfast <laughs> lunch um but you know they're high in magnesium like um you know good for your muscles and hydrating and all these sort of things at the at the same time that you're doing a lot of work you know there's and it's interesting when you look at the tomato and and you look at the top of the tomato it's got the um like a sun encode which i was i was saying this on on another show i think maybe with pat but you've got um the sun goes in its in its cycle is 360 degrees but it has um, 365 days a year. So it's got five extra sort of points. And when you place them evenly around um, that 360-degree circle, it actually does a pentagram. So it's actually showing this um, sort of similarity between the tomato and the – yeah. So I was just, it's like the five, five thing. It's how, like, the sun makes things grow, but they grow on the phi pattern, which is where we get five – the the word five because that's uh the phi is encoded in the pentagram the transcendental number yeah yeah that's right it's got the ratio in there that you know our body's made out of and actually um when you look at um the chinese medicine or the chinese meridian system they actually map the meridians via phi so it's picking points that your body's already made five, but it's it's picking points between points, and then you'll find a, a meridian point there, a uh, an acupuncture point. So I found that very interesting when I was looking at that as well. Um, so I want to get into that in our our next conversation, where it's one on one for introverts. The 
blending of some of the Eastern Western perspectives, mm. because I think that's where there's a lot of really good, tasty information. Like I'm, I'm a Qigong guy. I've done my own study on meridians, but not like in a trained way. And I've found that just simple knowledge of that was really helpful for energy healing stuff I do because like I can find out, oh, this, your index finger is uh, having a problem or th- your thumb's having a problem that corresponds to your lungs, your index finger that's on the meridian channel that goes to your digestive tract. You know, and if you know those simple things or you have a chart handy, then what was just like a piece of random information for uh, one person becomes quite informative for the individual that knows how that channel flows. Yeah. Well, a lot of my understanding and, and sort of adventure and, you know, um, research has really ex, um, extended from um, learning kinesiology. And so I did, I learned a kinesiology in, in Melbourne, which was um, more based on um, in, integration of these different modalities as well. So um, it was, you know, um, you actually use your hand as a ma- as a tool to actually find problems in a body and by m- via muscle testing. So um, it was it, it's been a big deal for me, and it's something that I've always kept in the background. That's something I want to go back to when I find more information about this, the nature of our world. Um, and, and apply it back into that kinesiology sort of stuff that I originally learned. And I think uh, at the end of the day, what, what I really want to achieve is um, something where we could um, have a health modality based on the battery, based on all these sort of things, um, and put it back in that sort of sense. I think that's um, that's where I'd like to see it go. As, so. We were talking about plasma batteries and the human body is one. It is one. Like the, another cool thing that you brought up, Ben, is the water question, how water, the memory isn't in the H2O. It's in the salts. It's in the crystal element. And it's the, uh, to me, what I've learned from studying and working with people one-on-one in sound balancing sessions which is applying electricity to their arc field because sound is electricity that the memory is 100% the distributed uh, bioplasma or electrical flow, energetic current through their whole field. That's where the memory is. It's most of it is in their core where it should be in balance in the middle, but some of it like trauma goes off balance to the left or right. But memory is the, is, um, the energy or the plasma itself. It's not anywhere physical. There's no filing cabinet in the brain where you find the right cells and you can decrypt those and have the, you know, the exact memory. It doesn't work that way. Exactly. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, a lot of the, um, the stuff that I've researched, they, they talk about this polarity and when one thing's out and that. But um, when you actually put it into the Trinity context, you're starting to work from a different angle again, that you're, you're working with both polarities, but you're also working with that middle line. And that's, you know, a lot of what the, the old uh, Zazen and Buddhist stuff is about as well as being um, not too swayed one way or the other way but being in that central point and i think 
um, really that's where a lot of the the health sort of stuff needs to go is to actually um, check both polarities in a sense, but also um, see how they're communicating and and see how that um, central point is going in a sense. Well, let's see if we can maybe fit in at least one, maybe two more questions that I've seen hanging out in the chat. We have Debbie asking about Polaris, the North Star that got brought up. Polaris, polarity, buzzword. She asks, the sun can hide it. Would this be during the winter months in the north? Uh, Ben, you were talking about Polaris. Do you want to answer about that point? Yeah, I mean, the sun during during the daytime, every day, the sun hides it ever so slightly. You know, and during the winter months, it's only for a few hours. Uh, During the summer months, it's quite a bit. But if you start uh, if you start applying the story to what you're actually seeing, um, you're seeing that Polaris is always exactly the same no matter what. It doesn't matter whether you can see it because it's dark enough out or not. It's always the same. And then as the sun comes up, the sun temporarily blinds you out of seeing Polaris. But as soon as the sun falls, which it does every day, uh, Polaris comes back and it's right exactly where it was waiting. Uh, You know, your being able to see it didn't really make a difference. It's, It's always there in the same spot. Another question, this is for, you know, we got into this a little bit in the Interverse chat talking about, or no, it was during the live, the the premiere of the recent Interverse episode with Jenny Rivers, a lot of diet questions in there. And the topic comes up about like raw foods and fruitarian diet. But Shannon Legro in the YouTube chat asks about for places with harsh winters, what's the best for cold times for someone who craves citrus and tropical items? Um, yeah, I'll let you guys field that one. It's a tough one. That's the, that's the hard, th- the hard sell about fruitarianism is that there are places so, in the world where you don't get it all year. This is one of the, uh, uh, things that I fight and argue with, uh, especially in the heathen community, because in the heathen community, because of the way we're taught today, where men eat meat, and if you're manly, you eat a lot of meat, you know, and, uh, in a small European, northern European area, that really wasn't a sustainable idea at all. Now, on the flip side, let's say you have, you know, three, four apple trees, um, three, four, uh, whatever trees, whatever fruit that you want. You're obviously the one of the big things about fruit, and, and most people know it is, is they'll go out and eat a few apples when the apples come ripe, and then most people let the rest of them fall on the ground, and then they just rot, and animals eat them and whatnot. Well, if you didn't have a grocery store to go to, you would never fucking dream of doing that. Never. You would never let your food go to rot. You would make sure you preserved it. So what was the easiest way in that time period to preserve food when you didn't have refrigeration. Uh, so they would take and take honey and make a low ferment, uh, a low ferment mead, a, a low alcohol ferment. And that's what they would then eat and drink throughout the year. Cause once you take that fruit and stick it in some honey water and let it ferment for a bit, it all of a sudden can sit on a shelf for the next three years and it's just going to taste better and better the longer it sits there. So, uh, and that's with no refrigeration whatsoever. So 
when they wanted to do that, they would be smart and harvest everything that they could preserve it and stack it away. And that's what we need to get back to doing also. That's a really good answer. Well, you, uh, you're in a tropical paradise, Lucas, so you probably don't have. No, I'm not. <laughs> no. Oh, you're not. I thought all of Australia was Australia was the same, just like sunshine like, and beaches and poisonous uh, shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, you we should have say quite that a variety. Have, he constantly has cockatiels, no, like, like tropical birds <laughs> all around him. He's like like Tarzan out there. I, he's lying. It's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, we don't get snow where I am, that's for sure. But um, yeah, it does get pretty hot here as well. But uh, I'm in a reasonably temperate area. Um, yeah, I know. Like if you're doing the the raw food thing, um, it's hard. Uh, I guess it's the the other thing is like um you know the the cooling effects of um the the fruits basically because it actually you know we are really tropical beings in a sense that's what we're sort of made for um so yeah and if you're not getting or we've just fruit, been so like we've been so damaged in our potential that we've lost the adaptability that we maybe would have had just because like we do the <laughs> we there's our group we like go barefoot walking in snow and share pictures and videos of our our explicitly naked feet in telegram and i really think that like when you look at say rock climbers or any sportsman the high level potential of a human being versus the average individual on the planet right now is like massively different so maybe some of that is like um us just losing track of our divinity in a way like our our pure adaptability that we kind of represent as the mercury in between the plant and animal worlds or the bridge between heaven and earth whatever you want to call it we've gotten yeah it's, it's interesting we also don't really move we haven't got the capacity we're all you know set up where we are there's no sort of um, movement and we don't sort of move with the seasons either so there's probably lots of things and I've always um, thought that maybe, you know, back in the day there was, um, you know, the, the environment was much different. I mean, if it, we're talking about giants and showing evidence for these huge buildings that aren't built for our stature and things like that. I mean, the only thing I can think of and, and actually seeing that would be practical is actually looking at, um, you know, um, what's called electroculture where you actually stimulate the growth of plants and things via electricity. So um, it's really just a, an interesting where we are in this cycle and, and those sort of things come into play as well. But, you know, I'm getting off on a tangent, aren't I? Oh, no, you're good. I just had a <laughs> kind of a brainstorm flash of <laughs> realization, like was when the uh, elders or rulers instituted the agricultural revolution, was that the original climate change lockdown? <laughs> because were they like, Hey, you guys are eating all this shit. We need to like farm food now and no more nomadic wandering. And then we got yeah. way weaker and all kinds of problems ensued from that. So is that the original lockdown? Well, <laughs> well and also I think that the, there's kind of a misunderstanding with the nomadic wandering also with the, I you know, like people think when you, when they say that, that these people just 
showed up and the, apparently food was just randomly everywhere, wherever they went, you know, and they were just lucky like that, like manifest destiny style and shit. Um, so it was more like Johnny Appleseed, just throwing right, seeds where, out as you go. <laughs> well, this, the thing is, is they understood how plants work. And while they might not have sat and farmed a field in the, in the monoculture type cropping that we're doing today, that doesn't mean that in the areas that they wanted either the buffalo to come to or that they were going to stay in because the buffalo were there, they would take and promote those specific crops to grow in those areas. In order well, there's to evidence hide. to suggest that rainforests were art, not artificially, <laughs> but art, artfully permacultured for humans to benefit from. Like the terra type soils and those sort of things and what they were doing to enhance those soils. Yeah, I, I mean, I need to do more research about it, but it, it does have to do with the soils, I, as far as I know, and the the biodiverse, um, just what would the word be, <laughs> saturation of of life there that mm. it seems that it was uh, set up and engineered is the right word for it, maybe. Like permaculture. Well, now, like, well, when, you know, when which supports what farming, Ben is saying, but like these, the max level of that. Today, farming is... Uh, I don't want to get into a, a rant on this, but is is super destructive. Yeah, rant, Lucas. Every, do it, do it. <laughs> no, nah, man, it's fucking. It drives me wild because it's it's just like you're doing everything backwards. Um, you just basically that you you're killing the soil and acting as it's as if it's a medium. And this is not what you're supposed to do. What you're supposed to do is you know, increase the fertility, increase, you know, bring your soil to life, you know, and it's the same thing that's happening everywhere. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's it, no matter what aspect of you, of this society you're looking at, same as the, the, the debt-based system, it's an anti-life system and it's, it's filtered down in every single aspect. And farming is one of those aspects that it's, um, you know, you know, create a profits over everything else except for increasing the the um, the life of the soil itself, and therefore the plants and everything else that comes from that. I mean, this should be your first port of call if you want to be a farmer or something like that. Is like, what's my soil like? You know what I mean? And and then from that, you know, it, there's no telling of what humanity could be now. Based on you know, um, if we had decent farming pr- practices and decent food to eat, that you know, when you were eating that apple, it wasn't just growing so it looked fucking nice on a shelf and sat there for a month, or put in a cool room for six months. That that thing was living and and full of strength and minerals and all the things that you'd need it. It's completely different, and and so we're, we're lacking in so many different. Um, qualities subtle qualities because of that yeah ben you should have the jim gale guy on the jim gale (laughs) jim gale the far i mean you probably have a lot of people uh, on your list but he might be an interesting one to know i'd actually been looking at i'd actually been looking at him uh also um and then i've got his website and then uh I'd wa- I've been watching a couple of his shows. If you have his uh, email, shoot it to me, please. Yeah, easy. Um, um, we got to wrap this up. Actually, we're kind of past another the finish person, line. So, another person. 
Oh, you just hold your pants on, Chance. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, you, fit it, you can finish your thoughts. Uh, what if I'm not wearing um, pants? You wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. You know, I uh, pants off, dance off. You do like dancing. Um, <laughs> but uh, I was actually also looking at uh, to further what Lucas is saying. I wanted to get Elaine Ingram and I'm going to contact her. She's not been on anybody's show, but I've taken her courses. And what she teaches is microbiology. So, you know, and, and people want to fucking get so worked up about uh, scientific stuff. But you know what? Uh, you jump on your jump on your little eBay. We all have these fucking apps. And uh, like right here, real simple. This one's super nice. Super, super nice. $183, 2000, 2000 X, you know, your standard nice microscope. Um, and she teaches a course that teaches you the difference between your beneficial, uh, bacteria and normal bacteria, your nematodes, all your different things in your soil. And that's also going to set your soil pH because a lot of what your soil pH is coming from is the byproducts out of these different living organisms that are in the soil. And that's setting it just like when you get a fermentation in your stomach or something, because that you, it's the difference between, uh, 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 anaerobic and aerobic and the food was supposed to break down through this bacteria but now it's breaking down uh fermenting actually um so it's understanding these bacteria and how they're going to break down and she gives an entire course on uh, how to look at that through a microscope and once you start at that level then the next level is is just looking at animals going in and looking at their fecal samples and their blood samples and you're going to find uh, more complexity than what you found in the soil material uh, that was basically the stomach of the plant and the excrement damn cat. Uh, um, that's just horrible <laughs> about computers. Uh, that was the stomach of the plant because that's what you've got to look at the soil as is the stomach of the plant. Um, once you understand that, you just take that up and look at more complexity in the animal kingdom. And then once again, with yourself, more complexity once again. But the same features are all going to be there, the same mechanics. You're going to have good bacteria, bad bacteria. Some things are going to be break pieces down, which would look like a predatory bad thing. But some of those predatory things are actually beneficial because you need it to break down and take away the old crap so new cells and better things can replace it. And that's one of the things you've got to learn with that balance and in, in, in the soil, in the plant level, is where you're going to learn that the easiest. This is why alchemists use as above, so below. If you can understand it on a simple level, it's just a step up in complexity, but the same mechanics are still going to exist. I love that. The stomach of the soil, the soil is the stomach of the plants. That's a really great metaphor. I hadn't heard that. But we got to wrap up. So you guys give me some finishing closing thoughts. That's great. We can do another combo with you and Lucas. Anytime you guys want me to drive, I really enjoyed this really fun episode. I think the chat agrees <laughs> what we do after vibrant we go straight into basically, it'll probably start about 20 minutes from now, 1030 or so. We go straight into flow state. 
Flow State is a live stream with me and other weaving spiders characters where we uh, we put our cameras on artwork that we're doing and we do art at the same time as taking turns reading books to each other and uh, then waxing about the different information in the books. It's really great. So we stimulate right brain and left brain by doing creativity and listening to interesting shit. So it's always fun. We'll do that for a good couple hours after Vibrant is over. It'll be on the Interverse channel this time and Weaving Spiders YouTube because Jim is busy rushing to finish a crazy awesome bronze sculpture and he can't host it tonight. So I'll be driving again, but Jim will be there. We'll have everybody we're used to seeing on the flow state, I'm sure. And you guys can look for the link to join into that on Telegram if you want to be on stage and show your artwork or just hang out and uh, watch the YouTube channels for Interverse or Weaving Spiders to get to get into that live stream and just keep the party going tonight. Had to make that announcement, though. And big thank you, Ben and Lucas, for showing showing us a good time tonight. This was extremely enlightening. Like, I'll want to go back and listen to parts of this again, for sure, when I'm not a little distracted by all the bells and whistles of being host. Because I learned some shit tonight. It's fun. I appreciate you guys both. Thanks, Chance. I appreciate you having me on, mate. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to doing the Interverse episode and getting into a more in-depth, going through the cosmological (laughs) dissenting that you've done from mainstream. I'm really into that idea. Yeah. Awesome. Fantastic. Yeah, actually, Lucas and I should always record our conversations and then just like have somebody edit out the cool parts or and put them <laughs> together or whatever, because it, it's always excellent conversations. And we're always like, we should have recorded that. We, we very seldom we do. <laughs> yeah. So if you join the Flow State stream later in the chat and you want to join in on screen, just say so in the chat and we'll try to watch out for that. Anyway, I'm going to play us out with this song by Lucas to finish out this this show. And this is not one with Marty Leeds, but it was selected by Jen Brew. She shared it in the Vibrant call-in line. So we'll enjoy this and uh, rock out, do a dance, dance off, pants off, pants on, dance on, whichever you want to do. <laughs> Thanks for being here, guys. And see everyone on the flow state. Mm-hmm.